Hey, listener, thanks for checking out Grub Stakers, a podcast about billionaires where we ask the question, is there such a thing as a good billionaire? This week, we got Oleg Deripaska in our hot seat, Russian oligarch, aluminum magnate, and a man about town who spends time on his yacht with women of the night with Russian politicians. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some Grub Stakers. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens, and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Hey, hey, ho, ho, welcome to Grub Stakers, another exciting episode. Uh, we're, we're, we're very excited. We have our second guest this week, um, but before we get to it, uh, Sean P. McCarthy here, joined as always by my friends. Yogi Paul, Steve Jeffries. Andy Palmer. And uh, this week, we are talking about Russian olig- oligarch Oleg Deripaska, and we are very happy to have, as we mentioned, our second guest, uh, a columnist at the Vill- Village Voice, uh, and uh, she's very popular on Twitter, uh, chick underscore in underscore Kiev on it's Twitter. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Talia Levin, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. I'm psyched. Just yeah. Bringing a touch of feminine energy to the podcast. Levin. If there's uh, one thing that we have been missing, it has been feminine energy. Though I, I would like to note that I I'd did... I'd like to think I brought some. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. We all brought something to the table. I also <laughs> want to apologize on, on the podcast, because the last time I shouted you out, Talia, I said Lavlin. Uh, um, just... You know, I've had worse um, as far as... At least you didn't call me Levin. It sounds Jewier, but it is not in fact my name. <laughs> it happens all the time. Levine. I'm like, you're looking at my Twitter handle. We have you're the quoting strange. me. We it's have so the, the daughter of U.S. Senator Carl Levine on today. <laughs> oh my uh, god, we're very excited. Um, but yeah, no, actually, uh, uh, this is great, and uh, uh, we're we're very excited to jump right into Oleg Deripaska. Uh, if you are uh, familiar with uh, the Russian meddling in the U.S. election, you might have uh, heard that name maybe once or twice on MSNBC. Um, but he's a, is an absolutely fascinating individual, and uh, we we did some very good research on this episode. But I will say, uh, researching a Russian billionaire is harder perhaps than some of our other episodes because the journalists we are stealing from keep mysteriously disappearing um but they keep tripping next to their windows <laughs> they, yeah they commit suicide in their apartment hallways uh with a silenced pistol <laughs> from the back of their head <laughs> yeah like you get shot eight times after whatever um but Oleg Deripaska uh Forbes as of June 2018 all right we know the song Andy this is what andy does instead of research i love that this is a german band also i didn't know they were german really chingis khan this is in eurovision right andy andy showed me this band and i went i want less answers about this group (laughs) (laughs) sorry i laughed like they won you're totally fine (laughs) yeah they won did you know they won their way into our hearts that was a protest song about the 1999 Moscow apartment bombings. 
They knew. It's like In 1989. The, the band members have all died of radiation poisoning since they released that song. Moscow, Moscow. Dun, 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 dun. Um, but anyway, so Oleg Deripaska, uh, we'll give you a quick overview, then we'll get into the bio. Uh, Forbes, as of June 2018, estimates his net worth at about $3.5 billion. He was at one time in 2008 estimated by Forbes as worth $28 billion. He was at that time the ninth richest man in the world, um, but he lost most of his fortune due to the 2008 financial crisis. And, you know, uh, the he, real victim. Right. That's right. That's right. He went on a bit of an acquisition spree. He ran up a lot of debts. And then uh, he actually got bailed out by the Russian state. Um, so he has a very close relationship with the Russian state. Washington, um, D.C. Right. And, and just like overview of that, uh, a U.S. diplomatic cable in 2006, which was reported on by the Associated uh, Press, described him as, quote, one of among the two or three oligarchs Putin turns to on a regular basis and more or less a permanent fixture on Putin's trips abroad. And, uh, but since then, he has been sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury in April 2018 uh, for meddling in the 2016 election. And I would just like to quote the Treasury here just to give you a bit of what the U.S. government thinks about this guy. Uh, Deripaska has been investigated for money laundering and has been accused of threatening the lives of business rivals illegally wiretapping a government official and taking part in extortion and racketeering. There are also allegations that Deripaska bribed a government official, ordered the murder of a businessman, and had links to Russian organized crime. And, of course, it's really fucked up when someone does that without CIA backing. So, yeah, I mean, the right Russian back. word for businessman is businessman. <laughs> <laughs> and... It really is such a... I used to be so intimidated by learning Russian. <laughs> business mom. Also, business lunch is business lunch. Turns out, <laughs> turns out it's just do a Yakov Smirnov voice. Yeah. Um, but, but business man is like such a nebulous term because it has all of these shady associations with it. You know, if someone's a businessman, businessman, it, it means like, is, you know, they probably have some shady shit. Going on or in their past is the Russian word for journalist tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 journalist. <laughs> <laughs> and then you make the gunshot sounds. <laughs> journalist. Um, it's tragic. I know it's really fucked up. Slava you know, Geroyam. R.I.P. <laughs> Glory to the heroes. Uh, uh, um, this 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 podcast is dedicated to the memory of Anna Politkovskaya. <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, in the career of Yakov Smirnoff. Uh, we keep wondering about like what will be the episode that finally ends our podcast. And, uh, you know, I think even money, the one where we insult the Russian mafia and the Russian <laughs> government. <Yeah. laughs> I called Andy a few days ago and I was like, hey, we got this weird Russian RSS feed listening to us. And he's like, ah, that's probably fine. I'm like, it probably is, but it might not be. So we should probably keep an eye on this. Oh, I would like to actually take a chance to pitch our show to advertisers because <laughs> we d we don't really get we get about a hundred some listeners, but the majority of Sean, those stop bragging. the majority of those are billionaires or their attorneys. So these are extremely well paid people, mm -hmm. and they can afford mm -hmm. your products. So I think you should have us read your copy on the air. Yeah, I mean. Like, just someone that just delivers orchids by drone <laughs> <laughs> to your bedside table. <laughs> like, uh. pants made of the skin of peasants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's do, yeah. All kinds of... Face cream made out of diamonds and quail eggs. Who knows? You know, yeah. Crazy yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. We should uh, we should advertise the opposition research firm that is going to take us down on our own <laughs> podcast. 
Um, just, just like Lennon said, we're going to hang ourselves with uh, the rope that we sell them or something. I, um, I'm going to use my Twitter to leverage this to at least 112 listeners. Yes. Thank you. I'm going to work that social. <laughs> SEO baby. Uh, all right. So Oleg Deripaska, he's the founder of a company called Basic Element. It was originally Siberium Aluminum. Through that, he owns about a 48% stake in Rusal, which is the second largest aluminum producer in the world as of 2016. Um, we mentioned about the sanctions. Uh uh, uh, the U.S. Treasury has said that if Oleg kind of steps down, sells off his stake, these kinds of things, they might be willing to reconsider the sanctions, but they have currently extended them so that they will come into effect in October of this year, but we will see if they delay that further or what happens. Um, but I, I guess, oh, uh, I guess, like, we should kind of start with his biography, and then we get to talk about a very interesting period in, in Russian history, uh, the Aluminum Wars, the 1990s. Um, and just how kind of Oleg was able to become, for a time, the richest man in Russia. Um, he, he was born in uh, 1968 in Dzerzhinsk. Dzerzhinsk. Thank you. I'll be the Russian exactly. word pronouncer. <laughs> I'm just going to say things. Every two minutes. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Businessman. <laughs> Businessman. <laughs> uh, he grew up in Ustlabinsk. That's the reason I left Soviet Union. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ustlabinsk, uh, it's an interest. It's a little town in um, uh, Krasnoyarsk Krai, um, which is like a an area of Russia that's not Moscow. Mm -hmm. um, so, here's a little quote from a site called Subisednik.ru, basically talking about what has Oleg Darupaska done for his hometown since making good. They're like, well, he paved the main street, and uh -huh. like he's making a school but then there's a like a reader wrote in and, <laughs> and described her quality of life after it rains i can't leave the house because of fear of drowning in huge puddles <laughs> or breaking my legs in the district clinic in order to take a blood test we must line up at 4 a.m as there are no test tubes oh, God. Um, it's a really poor rural area and um one thing that's sort of interesting is that it um has a strong uh community that identify as cossacks hmm. um so that's like a russian cultural minority ethnic minority um kuban it's the cossacks of the kuban region and hmm. they've um settled there it's like contested but there's been a cossack presence there since 1696 hmm. um the kuban region the, known for their cigars yes the kuban <laughs> for cigars <laughs> but but yeah so Deripaska himself like had a pretty rough upbringing. Also, uh, interesting fact about Cossacks: um, they did a horrible they, thing to Woody Allen's grandmother. They they were betrayed actually by the British government after World War II, and this led a uh, British secret agent by the name of Alec Trevelyan to uh, kind of go rogue and abduct the uh, uh, former Soviet GoldenEye satellite in an attempt to uh, destroy the world financial system um unfortunately he was stopped outside of a large satellite <laughs> base in uh in cuba uh but and then by, what happened uh, uh they, they weren't uh, able pierce to brosnan had sex and then the rest of his movies weren't very good i um, heard it was hard for the cia to stop them because uh, the opposition was playing as odd job and he's actually shorter in the n64 version so it's you can't really get a shot in. oh yeah yeah <laughs> 
I hated all of that. <laughs> <laughs> not enough drops <laughs> and not enough punchlines. Uh, uh, yeah. But anyways, I'm sorry I cut you off. Uh, please, get, we were talking about kind of he had a hard life growing up. Uh, I only did kind of basic Wikipedia research on this, but from what I understand, his mother had to leave uh, and get an engineering job. She was a widow, and she had to leave uh, when he was young, so he was raised by his grandparents. Uh, yeah, and then their grandparents, um, when they died, the state seized their homes. Uh, their home as part of a program for breaking up Cossack settlements, oh. according to an FT article. Um, he moved from relative to relative for seven years, he says, until his mother returned and then went to live in a nearby town. Hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, Ustlabinsk isn't like a glamorous place to grow up. Right. I, I read that Zhezhinsk is one of the most polluted populated areas in the world. Sounds from right. The, yeah, like they had a... Uh, chem- a bunch of chemical industries that packed up and left in the 70s. Yeah. I feel like you should have done that while you were summarizing the plot of. Yeah, I think that would have well, been great. That would have required Andy to do two things at once. <laughs> <laughs> Just one thing correctly at once, actually, is what we're really saying. <laughs> um, but okay. I think I think most underrated Bond thing, by the way. Not bad. What's sad is how long I let Andy talk, wh- like while intently listening. Before I was like, "Oh, he's he's fucking around right now." <laughs> Nothing he's saying is important. <laughs> no, I like... It's great if we explain as many complicated things at once <laughs> while talking over yes, each other. Yes. And some of them are real and some of them mm-hmm. are not. Yeah. yeah. Listeners love that. Yeah. That's, this is going so smoothly, That's why we guys. pull hundreds of listeners. <laughs> hundred of listeners. Yeah, hundred of listeners. Literally nines of listeners. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, But that's, no, the governing philosophy oh, of... Yeah. All right. <laughs> Governing philosophy of the podcast is we say fake facts, but we also uh, act like we meant to say them so that people don't know when we're just lying or misinformed. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, just interesting random fact. Both of his grandfathers fought against the German invasion in World War II, and one of them was killed in battle. The other one uh, returned. Was a coward. <laughs> uh, what? That's literally Stalin's. That was Stalin's. Yeah, yeah. Stance. Stance. One of his grandfathers uh, stood up at the end of Enemy of the Gates to expose the position <laughs> of the German sniper uh, because uh, he was jealous of his friend cucking him. Uh, so you guys have watched movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing I learned. Not that many. <laughs> not, uh, not that many, not even good movies. That's yeah. the only sad part about hey, this. Hey, GoldenEye is the best James Bond movie. Arguably. Anyways, let's talk about Oleg Deripaska. Uh, At age 11, again, Wikipedia, he got a job at the plant where his mother worked. He was, quote, an electrician's apprentice doing maintenance on electrical motors. And, uh, you know, it's good. uh, What a country. (laughs) It's good that uh, someone following Marxist, uh, a government following Marxist philosophy uh, understood his strong endorsement of child labor. (laughs) Um, but so he, he worked as an electrician's apprentice at age 11, and then in 1985, he, mul- he enrolled in physics in Moscow State University. So uh, MGU was like, the, it's the best school in Russia. Right. Harvard of Russia, MIT of Russia. <laughs> you know, it's like less condemning to be a state school when you live in a 
state dominated (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like what other schools are there right right. but it was the best it's the best school is best is yeah be best i do like the idea of like talking shit to oleg deripaska about like you went to a state school it's like they were all state schools what are you talking about yeah Um, whatever fall back (laughs) didn't get into moscow university (laughs) and you uh, uh, but so uh, he enrolls uh, in physics uh, in 85, but then he gets conscripted into the Soviet army. He serves in the strategic missile forces in Siberia from 86 to 89. Then he goes back to college. He graduates with a physics degree and honors in 93. But of course, the Soviet Union collapsed during that time period, which made it impossible for him to continue with his original goal, which was to continue his studies as a theoretical physicist. Because there's just so much freedom. <laughs> I mean, the th- the, <clears throat> so the term for the 90s in uh, Russian is Lichia uh, Divinosti. It's like the wild 90s. Right. It was just this period of like post state collapse right. everything was up for grabs um gangsters took a lot of it which we'll get into right. and um it's hard to overstate just like how anarchic it was uh how so, disorienting and a lot of people were really like millions and millions of people were really struggling to survive right when when power structures crumble the people with the most power seem to seize the most power as well and in uh, russia's case it's uh, the most violent people right yeah so uh, and plus I guess, all their bands were abandoning their synthesizers. Uh-huh. Uh, People started supporting Bernie. <laughs> it was a, it just went to shit. <laughs> Bernie Madoff. We just want to make that clear. <laughs> Mark Ames was doing child sex tourism. We uh, can cut that. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Oh no. <laughs> um, I'm glad we had Matt Tybee to to be there and uh, <laughs> have sex with unwilling Russian women. <laughs> For the sake of journalism. You know, this is interesting because it's like, and maybe this is like my male perspective, but I've kind of forgiven Matt Taibbi, but like, you know, obviously I wasn't affected. I have no idea what he did over there. But Mark Ames, like, I'm like, you're a complete scumbag. But of course, Matt Taibbi wrote a book with the dude and knew what the dude was doing. So it's like, that book is disgusting. Oh, I'm sure. But (laughs) it's just, it's just hard. It's hard. It's like, right. So we're talking about Russian girls will always say no. And no, and no, but they really mean yes. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> what is this book? So yeah, yeah. So it's called uh, "The Exile." Was uh, Matt Taibbi, who's a great uh, journalist for Wall Street, and who I was. Is <laughs> 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 uh, uh, a Rolling Stone journalist who did a lot of stories on Wall Street and helped you know me and some other people kind of gain our understanding of uh, the U.S. financial system. Uh, was in the '90s and uh, early 2000s involved in uh, uh, setting up a paper in Russia called "The Exile" with Mark Ames, who's another leftist journalist, and they lived kind of. Uh, it's sex pat. Right. And so it's like <laughs> the, it's it's this thing where like um, sexploitation all. In, in- all American male journalists were heavily influenced by Hunter S. Thompson, but they didn't really get the empathy. So they kind of thought like the whole thing was about, you know, like fucking random strange and doing drugs and uh, so actually harassing their secretaries. There you go. It, I, I will say, just briefly in his defense, and I'm going to use a Woody Allen voice because that's how I sound. An that's independent a, journalist Woody did, Allen voice is a good voice to adopt when defending sex criminals. He, an independent journalist did call a bunch of women that he worked with and confirmed that it, and that it didn't happen. Uh, it was, it was, now do it in a Cosby uh, voice. It was a... It was a, a 
this just turns into a Muppet. Uh, <laughs> it I know. was a satire on the Yeltsin years, and he was making up all that stuff. And like, although a female Washington Post reporter also came out with a rejoinder saying, like, they mercilessly harassed me, implied that I was sleeping with my bosses, uh, and used the pages of their magazine to smear me as basically someone who was sleeping around for my career, which was just like not not true. Wow, what piece of shits? Yeah, no, I'm not. Well, Tyvee does. He does do a good screed, but, you know, yeah. people do good screeds that haven't glorified rape, so that's right. cool. Yeah. Um, I'm the I'm the political correctness correspondent. <laughs> uh, for this episode, it's czar. Czarina. Thank you. No, I just, um, I would say I'm anti-rape, but if you want to... I think Sean and Andy wanna, are, are torn on that sentiment. Yeah, yeah. if I you think want to take out the opposing position. I think there's a lot of gray area. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know what's also gray? Aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back on topic. Um, I do, uh, yeah, like, I've never backed down from a position so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like making it seem like everyone who disagrees with me is pro-rape. <laughs> <laughs> my tactic as a feminist <laughs> not selling out feminism just telling the truth but um <laughs> like and so we'll get back to oleg in a second but i do think their story is interesting in that they are exemplary of a lot of americans who went over to russia in the 90s americans and just other people around the world for you know essentially sex tourism but also exploitation where um uh one statistic i heard from a documentary i watched was Within four years of the collapse of the Soviet Union, 75% of all industry in Russia had been privatized. And that's 100% state control to 75% private control within four years. And a lot of that was sold off to foreign interests. Like we'll talk about some, you know, Hmm. London-based firm uh, that comes into the Oleg Deripaska story. But it's essentially like, you know, uh, 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 if you're, say, a nerdy American, you can go over and do sex tourism and spend your money and buy up distressed resources from people who are starving and being thrown out of their homes at, you know, fire sale prices. So it is just the 90s in Russia is a story of horrific economic mismanagement, corruption, exploitation, you know, whatever else. And uh, yeah, Mark Ames fits into that story. To be managed by self-rule. The government by an elite group is superior. The government for, oh my by, God. And, and of the people. Yeah, I mean, the story of the wild 90s is like, it's it's a the big kahuna collapses and then what the vacuum in its wake just attracts the worst people the worst people all around everyone the globe from the predators to the moochers right and um and in some ways this is a story of that mm-hmm. yeah at least the formation of Jerry Posca right. certainly yeah so I guess we can talk a bit about the aluminum wars and Oleg aluminum wars. wars god damn it. <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, Oleg Deripaska's role in that. Um, but so basically, as we mentioned, he wanted to go on to study theoretical physics. Uh, he he wanted to like do uh, productive, good things for humanity, but the free market had other ideas. <laughs> like it would have been hard to be in a PhD at that time. Oh but, like, yeah, that didn't mean you have to, had to go into like raw metals trading with organized criminals right probably right. a middle ground that like w- smuggling is... cheese or something <laughs> right that is where a lot of the stories of like phds driving taxis came from in yeah. russia or that time yeah Ta- yeah Tiger. yeah no my my it's um, a stereotype but like that idea yeah totally i mean it was like who, who gets out right 
Right. You yeah. know, the elite, the ed- educated people with drive, and then they come here, and it's like... And drive. And drive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and just like so... But in fairness... Mm-hmm. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to Hell our yes. problem. Government is the problem. Mm. It is time to reawaken this industrial giant, to get government back within its means, and to lighten our punitive tax burden. Let's talk about these aluminum wars. Right. So, um, and we mentioned, you know, 75% privatized within four years. It turns out when you sell off all these state assets, having connections within state government helps you get first in line when it comes to buying up state assets, which is why corruption became so endemic in this period. Um, well, corruption but, had been endemic, right. but it got more lucrative. Right. Um, but so basically, he, he's uh, Oleg Deripaska is not able to go on to study theoretical physics anymore. So instead, what he does uh, is in 93, he sets up a uh, commodity trading company, VTK. Uh, they mainly focused on metals. And he sets it up with other physicists, engineers, rocket scientists. It's kind of like the phenomenon you've seen in the U.S. where like a lot of you know smart mathematical people are like, oh, we can just make financial models instead and make more money. And, uh, you know, he starts representing different companies that were buying and selling raw materials. I'm getting this from Wikipedia. Um, and, uh, and Citation you know, needed. Right. He, uh, <laughs> I just don't want to get Angela Nagel. Just, cl- just click through to the source, man. <laughs> I know. It's not that hard. Yeah. It's weak. <laughs> uh, uh, but so he, uh, uh, he did, you know, arbitrage where, like, they uh, buy up, you know, mainly aluminum at uh, low Russian <laughs> prices <laughs> and sell them abroad. Uh, they did it through Estonia, I guess, because, like, Russian export licenses were kind of in disarray during this period. Um, but so what happens is almost all of the uh, profit that he makes uh, from this export venture, venture is dumped back into uh, buying uh, an aluminum smelter uh, in, uh, what is it, Sayangorsk? Sayangorsk. Sayangorsk. That reminds me of the, uh, the saying in the aluminum industry and uh, the aluminum trading industry, which mm-hmm. is uh, he who smelter, delta. <laughs> I actually. Everyone else is just shaking their heads, so my gremlin <laughs> laugh just dominates the audio feed. You know, I, I, I read thought... some amazing quote about the the through us about um. Is it Russian for... metal being sent out through Estonia? But it was like, uh, you know, it became Estonia didn't have any metal plants. Oh really? And yet it became one of the largest metal trading. Hmm. Yeah. Like, that... That's countries in the world to be one of the things like in his early career is that like with the fall of the soviet union he was dealing a lot of metal but it wasn't until later of his career that he started putting money into actual like aluminium production uh because no one was really like mining it anymore like that it all collapsed people were just moving around stuff and he was basically um being something of a parasite he's uh, brokering deals between other transnational Right, right. Stephen, hold the mic closer. Oh, sorry. No so wait, so he was being like what uh, a financier to like metal uh, deals at one point, and then started s- selling his own stuff. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, he started investing in actual aluminum production, but before that, he was just it was just basically moving things around and skimming money. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, so the I mean, just to give you an, an idea, like so, Russia because the economy had collapsed, um, you could buy a ton of aluminum in russia and then sell it for for 70 dollars 
and then sell it for $1,600 a ton abroad. So that's how big the profits were. And that's why aluminum in specific became this nexus of the aluminum wars. Correct. (laughs) I I do like... drop for the aluminum wars? No. I do a whole bunch of drops in post, so if you you got something in mind, let me know. Like aluminum, aluminum wars... Um, and that's next. Song about metal. I'll find something. Heavy metal. Well, actually, uh, speaking of, um, you know how I was playing Moscow earlier? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're talking about heavy metal. Is that what you were doing? Heavy metal. Aluminum. Arbitrage. <laughs> Aluminium. Pricing. Oligarch. One of the lightest metals. Oh, damn it. Five, <laughs> <laughs> All right, six on the periodic table. Uh, Thirteen. No, don't do any lyrics. We don't want to be sued by them. Moscow. Did you know that uh, the, heavy metal the real most common saying in the aluminum industry is actually it's pronounced aluminium? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's actually how the war that's started. That's what the war was over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, do you guys want to know so how I'm to just say? Just start beating up a nurse. <laughs> yes, I do. Aluminum in Russian. Yeah. Aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me just double check that that's it's quickly correct. becoming my favorite language. Do you have to take twice as long to say it? <laughs> um, what a country. Uh, no, I'm wrong. Uh, it is. Alumini. No. Yeah. Oh, I just wish you said it, but slower. Yes. <laughs> I really <laughs> wish. Aluminum. Oh, okay. Daddy Pasca. Um. Yeah, cool. So at one Sorry. point... Right, right. So, okay. Oleg yeah. gets from, like, a, a middleman type to, like, a 20% owner of the company. Right. So, and this kind of goes into the organized crime thing. So, basically, uh, as we mentioned, he puts all his profits back into this um, aluminum uh, smelter uh, at... Where is it? Sabarinsk? Sayangorsk. Sayangorsk. This was where he gets involved with a man named Michael Shearney. Uh, Chorney. <laughs> it just means black. Interesting. Why does it got to be black? <laughs> um, but so uh, uh, in the early 90s, uh, Michael Chorney uh, sets, uh, uh, starts buying stakes in a uh, London metals trader named Trans World um, to amass, uh, according to the Financial Times, they did this to amass control over Russia's collapsing aluminum sector. And at the time... Um, he got uh, Mr. Chornay, Deripaska did. Chornay. Chornay. Uh, he got him to give him the ba- his backing to become the general min- manager of this aluminum plant, um, which was at that time the only facility in Russia outside of Transworld's control. And you were mentioning, essentially, uh, uh, that had he not been able to get that backing and tried to take over the smelter, he might have just ended up in a river somewhere. Or- yeah, this was a quote from a... Um, a Russian language uh, analysis in of uh, Jerry Pasca's connection with uh, organized crime. Um, so the Chorneys were like sort of uh, um, they were brothers and they were organized criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, they were part of the Russian mafia. Mm-hmm. Jerry Pasca was sort of their clean cut front man. Mm-hmm. Um, was he the face? He was the face. I mean, look at it. It's so grizzled. Sure. <laughs> um, 
he, you know, he was the MGU graduate, right. physicist, cleaner than State anyone. Uh, I do like when the guy who has been accused of ordering the murder of a businessman is your clean face. Well, this was, <laughs> this was earlier. This was before. <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he basically was their front man for taking over the Sayanagorsk plant. And uh, um, yeah, but yeah, the, the, this Nova Gazeta investigation was like... He showed up, uh, and he, this Muscov- this Muscovite showing up in a room full of Sayansk metallurgists um, was as noticeable as a pimple on a face. <laughs> Question: What is a Muscovite? Um, someone from Moscow. Oh, because he was born like 250 miles outside Moscow. Well, or, yeah, but and I guess he went to school and there. He, yeah, he, it's the like he went to so he's a nerd. To school there. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, yeah, he's like the big city city slicker. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and 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 then further that that article said like you know if he hadn't had the backing of the Chorneys and was showing up trying to take over this plant, he he would have wound up as a body in the Yenisei River. Uh, so there are two other um organized crime figures that are connected to him. There's uh, no such thing as a mafia. Uh, in the course of research for this article we decided we should try to send Andy to Odessa Beach in New York which is apparently where the Ukrainian mob has a hangout I got confused and went to Brighton Beach (laughs) (laughs) met a lot of Jamaicans instead Um, but oh, so anyways, so uh, two other organized crime figures, or with links to organized crimes are Sergei there's no such thing as a mafia Sergei Popov and Andrei Malevsky. God, I feel like fucking Rachel Maddow. Um, Malevsky. Malevsky. Um, so, uh, and that is how this went down. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so basically, uh, Popov was connected with a uh, Shirne. They were they were close to. <laughs> They were close to Yeltsin's chief of staff. Yeltsin, Yeltsin. Yel, Yeltsin. Yelp. Yel, Yeltsin. It's like Yelt. Yeltsin's with a chief T of staff. And then Sin. You're really killing the atmosphere I'm trying to create. Um, they were close to his chief of staff, so they kind of um, uh, uh, cleared the way. But um, uh, they have been connected to... Anton Milevsky was connected to the... Um, is Malovsky organized crime group? Malovsky, allegedly, and allegedly, and uh, 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 Mr. Popov was alleged Popov. in alleged in court to be a leader of the Podolosk Podolosk organized crime. Podolsk. <laughs> this is amazing. This is like me being able to correct like Scarlett Johansson's terrible Russian accent. <laughs> I am the Red Sparrow. <laughs> no, that's Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, is that? Okay. Yeah. I couldn't watch that movie because really bad Russian accents just make me want to die. What's Holly the worst? A professional fact checker. <laughs> what's the worst Russian accents? Like, if you had to rank them, what's worst? I mean, I have to say Scarlett Johansson is the Black Widow. Yeah. Like, like, is just one of the... Yeah. I almost just, like, walked out of an Avengers movie. <laughs> Like, I can't handle it. Yeah. All right. You can cut that. <laughs> uh, the mood is set, Palmer. <laughs> but um, so basically, uh, with my horrible pronunciations aside, you get the idea where uh, he went into a business with this uh, Cherne guy or whatever, uh, who in turn had connection to at least two Russian mobsters, uh, who in turn had connection to the, uh, at the time, president of Russia, Boris Yeltsin. 
through through the chief of staff, who uh, whom's daughter uh, Oleg Deripaska would later in 2001 go on to marry Polina Deripaska. Right. So um, it's essentially like he was able to make some Two years and about five thousand six hundred ingested bottles of vodka <laughs> later <laughs> by uh, Yeltsin himself. He was able to make uh, 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 some money through uh, this kind of uh, exploitation of the collapse of Russia, but it was really his political connections that allowed him to become, for a time, the richest man in Russia. And I guess we can kind of go through uh, what followed, unless there's anything else with the aluminum wars, because it is a very fascinating period. So um, I can, I just, I tried to find as much as I could about like Deripaska and the aluminum wars. One thing that's sort of funny um, is, so the, the Russian, the Soviet term for World War II mm-hmm. is the Great War for the Fatherland. Or the Great Patriotic the Wars. The Great Patriotic War, Great the, War for the yeah, Fatherland. Yeah. Like, there are different translations of the, so- the Russian term. Right. right. But um, during the Aluminum Wars, which was just this all-out gang warfare, contract killings, assassination, mm-hmm. um, the papers started calling it the Great Patriotic Aluminum War, <laughs> um, which I thought was interesting. Here's the FT in 2001 The, the Koch brothers it. were involved in both of them. <laughs> uh, Aluminum Stalin did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Stalin was his assumed name, and it means, like, son of steel. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Huh. Um, anyway... So here's the FT in 2001 describing the aluminum wars. Mm -hmm. Um, When state control withered with the demise of the Soviet Union, turf battles, political meddling, and alleged contract killings convulsed Russia's aluminum sector. After the dust settled early last year, the winner was clear. Oleg Deripaska, a 33-year-old former metals trader who now serves as general director of Russian aluminum. Um, And then here's another description from... One of my favorite guys, uh, uh, Mark Galliotti, um, who is like the world's expert on Russian organized crime. Um, he, in this article in The Guardian, talked about the aluminum wars. Um, the notorious aluminum wars of the early 90s, for example, saw thugs occupying factories, a string of murders, and lurid accounts of organized crime activity across the metal industries. Recent research suggested uh, suggests that the contract killings related to those wars likely numbered in the thousands. Um, and about... Sounds like the free market was working. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but so recently there was a trial, um, like, a, I guess this was in uh, 2012, um, a guy named uh, Vladimir Tatarenkov, uh, otherwise known as the Tatar, um, a Siberian gang leader, uh, was uh, um, sentenced to prison um, for being uh, being behind potentially dozens of contract murders during the aluminum wars. Um, and he, so allegedly when, so here, this is a translation from Commerçant.ru, which is like a, Russian business paper. Um, so Oleg Deripaska was sent out to the Cyanogorsk plant. This is mm-hmm. in Siberia. Mm-hmm. He was sent from Moscow to Siberia. Um, other accounts are like, basically, it's a miracle that he survived being sent out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tatarinkov was uh, representing a different, like, um, a different 
oligarch Anatoly Bikov and fighting Deripaska and the Chornis for uh, the Chornis for control of the Sianogorsk plant. Um, and this is from Kommersant. Uh, so Tatarinkov, that's the the Tatar, the the like notorious assassin. Mm-hmm. Um, several times phoned Deripaska and threatened him. Um, in April 1995, in Moscow, members of Tatar's uh, Tatarenko's gang uh, committed an attempt on uh, of, um, attempted murder on the commercial director of the Sayanogorsk plant, Valery Tukarev. Mm. Uh, the businessman was seriously injured, but he could not uh, be finished off. The killer's gun jammed. Um, so wow. he, uh, he dived to his back because he knew if he got shot in the butt, he would recover faster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's inter- This is the, and, and, and that attack on the Sayanogorsk plant is like referenced in the FT and, and, and other things. But yeah, it was, it was like definitely... Jerry Pasca was largely on the sidelines, but like was ultimately, you know, personally affected by the ruthless killings right. that surrounded. Right. So, and like Deripaska has himself admitted to paying protection money or, you know, being forced to pay protection money. And then uh, Michael Cherney or whatever, Mikhail. Well, one thing Deripaska realized after this is when people are on the mattresses, they're not making money. <laughs> 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 Terry Posca was able to restructure his business after uh, talking to a complicit therapist <laughs> who got a vicarious thrill through his lifestyle. Um, but anyways. Uh, uh, Later was gratuitously brutally raped for no reason. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> really? Talking about The Sopranos now. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm hip to the haps. I've never seen it. Yogi and I were going to watch it together and then. Yogi's like, oh, well, I'm going to meet with my Yogi girlfriend like, tonight, and then I watched six seasons. On <laughs> Andy and Yogi so, were going to watch it together, and then Yogi was like, no, actually, I don't like you. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, um, so, and, and that period in, in Russian history is very fascinating to me because, again, you know, all these people, uh, at least in the West, talked about how, you know, introducing free markets and democracy or whatever would lift the lifestyles of all these people and instead, you know, this massive state sell-off, uh, de- deflation, starvation, poverty. Um, I forget the exact... Just like a completely catatonically drunk president. Right, yeah. And I forget the exact... Hilariously stat- drunk president. <laughs> <laughs> Plot uh, twist. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, uh, and Mikhail uh, uh, Cherney later sued Deripaska in English court. It was eventually thrown out. Um, because he said that he should have claim to Roussel because as part of this... Is that court for people who are just really pedantic about (laughs) grammar? Uh, Because of this uh, uh, protection money, um, Deripaska was uh, uh, at various points forced to transfer, uh, like, I think... 10% 10% ownership to one mobster, 10% to another. I think uh, uh, Cherney was claiming 18% ownership of uh, Roussel, which, again, second largest aluminum um, producer in the world as of 2016. So uh, <clears throat> eventually he triumphed over the mobsters is kind of the long story short. Well, that's one story. Um, the Nova Gazeta uh, investigation I found like showed pretty substantial cooperation between... Um, Deripaska and the Chornies. And again, Deripaska acting as more of their agent and then after the fact, kind of claiming himself to be the victim of extortion. Wait, wait, Talia, are you saying that as soon as he thinks he's out? (laughs) 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 Uh, Um, Yes. But yeah, so with the the backing of Cherney, he becomes the director general of this uh, aluminum smelter in Cyangorsk. 
Sayamugorsk. <laughs> I, I got it close enough that I'm going to count that as a win. Uh, he became the director general in 94, and then by 1997, the smelter, uh, according to Reuters, became the... Delter. Uh, became the <laughs> core asset of his original company, Siberian Aluminum Group, which is today called Basic Element. Basic Element is like this big holding company which has, you know, all these different uh, business interests in Russia. They apparently manage five airports. They have a lot of uh, real estate contracts, uh, aluminum, energy. And then through Basic Element, he controls EN Plus Group. And through EN Plus Group, he controls 48% of Rusal, which, again, second largest uh, aluminum producer in the world. So it really feels it, like you missed an opportunity not to call it Super Scion. <laughs> I mean, he was 26 when he became the general manager so <laughs> it seems like that something that should happen right after he watched his uh, son get killed his business went super scion <laughs> <laughs> his best friend krillin was killed on the planet namek come on super scion ogorsk is a that's so solid right um laugh yeah. at my joke yeah or you're sexist <laughs> um but so I guess uh, uh, we can kind of talk a bit. Wait, about before we get out of the mob, I just want to tell my favorite Russian mob anecdote, mm -hmm. uh, which is there's this documentary. Uh, I think it's on either YouTube or Netflix where they interview members of the Russian mob. And one of them like considered himself like the artist of the Russian mob leaders and made a crime movie. And there's just this beautiful scene where they're watching the crime movie and the, um, the mob boss like turns to the interviewer at like pointing at the screen and goes, Here's the great thing about my movie. Those people in that movie, they owe me money. The beatings are real. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anyways, so we were talking a bit about uh, how he uh, uh, set up his Siber uh, Deripaska set up his Siberian aluminum group. Um, but what really happens is Rusal, which we've mentioned a couple times, second largest aluminum producer in the world, was formed in 2000 when uh, Deripaska's Siberian Aluminum Group merged uh, with, aluminium. with the aluminum assets owned by uh, Millhouse Capital, which was owned by Roman Abramovich. Uh, and then Millhouse Capital sold its 50% stake um, uh, to uh, Deripaska's company, Basic Element, in 2003. It's the second so, best Millhouse. Um, but After Richard Milhouse. Suck it to me. <laughs> um, uh, Talia just got up and left. <laughs> no, wait, fake news. Roman, Ab <laughs> Roman Abramovich uh, sold his 50% stake after Lisa Simpson rejected him. <laughs> um, Abramovich is also a pretty big player oligarch these mm -hmm. days mm -hmm. and recently fled Russia to Israel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's like a lot of the oligarchs were either like had their assets seized by Putin or cooperated with Putin or fled to Israel or London or wherever. Greece. Well, Abramovich decided to pursue a second career of slapping his lover and uh, pouring blood on a uh, taxidermy. It's a reference to Marina Abramovich, a uh, noted performance artist. Spirit cooking. And spirit cooking. Satan. We, we missed the chance to uh, interview her when she was at the Met for three days, for three months. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if I can do just like a one second of course. summary. Take, take all the time you need. Um, yeah, I, I lied when I said one second. If, if you take three hours, we can release it over three different episodes. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It'll give us some days off. <laughs> yeah, no, so the, the 90s were this interesting period where like, at the be towards the beginning of the 90s and through the mid 90s like you had 
legit organized crime figures like the Chorties, like Tatarenkov, um, and people closely connected with organized crime, um, you know, gaining this massive wealth, exploiting Russia's collapsed economy. And then by the end of the 90s, like around 98, 99, you had these figures, like sort of the more open organized criminals increasingly being marginalized, fleeing, being imprisoned, um, and then people who, you know, could at least theoretically present a clean face um, to the world being, uh, like, consolidating their power and also Mm -hmm. at the same time being co-opted by the state. Right, Mm -hmm. Um, so that the current crop of oligarchs, including Derry Posca, is mm-hmm. like, in some ways, it's like my comparison is like a king and his nobles. Like, right. they all owe fealty to Putin. They, um, you know, to an extent, like obey his whims. And you had earlier oligarchs like um, Khodorkovsky and um, Berezovsky, like being straight up imprisoned um, as Putin's way of showing, like, you may be a big fish, you may be an oligarch, but your money won't protect you. Right, right. Only I can fish. Only I can protect you and like you must obey me, the state. So so the lines between and like you have this phenomenally corrupt state too, so that like the the lines of corruption make the lines between R. I. P. Talia. (laughs) Between crime, business and um government like increasingly blurred right but yeah but there is a sense that straight up gang wars were not good for putin's rules you have things just like much more tightly mm-hmm. controlled now and and you know and we mentioned it uh, briefly at the beginning but really the only thing that saved Deripaska from going bankrupt in the 2008 financial crisis and subsequent com- commodities prices collapse and such was intervention by the Russian state through Vladimir Putin who was the chairman of VEB which was a state-owned bank and he rolled over a four and a half billion dollar loan to Rusal and uh, he all this is according to Financial Times and uh, the the bank also bought nearly one-third of the IPO of Re- Rusal which went on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange in 2008 so essentially uh, um, if he wasn't you know a puppet of Putin before he certainly is now because the Russian state can always you know just call those loans due or you know find whatever criminal pretext to seize the company or whatever else so right that seems to be the like kind of modus operandi of uh, both just Russia and any um, any corrupt authoritarian state is that everyone's doing something illegal so if anyone ever kind of falls to the wayside of what the government wants, they can just, you know, bring up anything right. along those lines. Um, so according to a like a Stanford um, analysis of Russian organized crime, like one of the pillars of organized crime um, are these people um, which are which are called um, the nomenclatura. Um which is sort of the Soviet, the former Soviet power elite of prominent business members and communist power member, uh, communist party members who um, basically had been prominent in the shadow economy under the Soviets mm-hmm. uh, and then took over real assets after the collapse of the state. Um, basically, um, they're, um, yeah, so <laughs> these people are the ones that straddle the state and crime um and they're increasingly in control um as opposed to like the old figures the mythical like figures of russian organized crime were the vori the thieves 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's what they're called. And um, the 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 sort of the thieves code um, was basically you can never cooperate with the state mm-hmm. in any way. Um, <laughs> or Silvio Dante will whack you. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, and, and it was like really strong. It was really mythologized. But then um, after World War II, a lot of these thieves and um, criminals who had been imprisoned in the gulags like fought for the Russian army. Right. Mm. Um, uh, for the promise of freedom, but Stalin just threw them back in the gulags. Right. And there were these wars called the bitch wars, um, uh, where the sort of old school thieves like tried to kill all of the people who had took up arms for the state, calling them the bitches. Right. Right. Um, but the bitches won, and now you have a world of Russian organized crime where the idea of not cooperating with the state has sort of fallen by the wayside. Um, and everyone, it's like, uh, Galliotti, Mark Galliotti, who, who is, yeah. Um, I really recommend his book, uh, the Vori, um, Russia super mafia, um, which is a great book. Um, but, but he, he says, it's not clear whether the, <coughs> the old wars have simply died out or whether everyone has become a war. Hmm. Well, what's, oh. what's interesting about that, or what's funny is they're like, the the people who were like we don't cooperate with the state they decided to start a fight with the people who fought in the most brutal and deadly war <laughs> in probably Russian history and survived and they're like yeah we can beat them yeah that's why they died <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> like that's why the bitches won yeah weird thing I don't know if if you've read about this Talia but uh, I was reading online somewhere so like a lot of Russian gangsters in prison will get like nazi era tattoos like wormach slogans and stuff really and apparently uh, or you know even swastikas but apparently it's not like you know for nazi ideology it's just a way of signaling their hatred of the russian state i guess yeah yeah uh, but that was fascinating whoa, 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 to me. Whoa. They're getting Nazi tattoos to right. be like, fuck the Russian state this much? So wait, Sean, what you're saying is it's heritage, not hate. <laughs> 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 yeah, Russian prison tattoos, it's a lot like the Yakuza, where mm-hmm. like you huh. have these identity tattoos. Right, right. Um, and it's very specific. Like, um, you get like a Russian, you know, those onion dome churches, Mm -hmm. the number of onion domes on your tattoo is how many murders you've committed. Like a tattoo of a spider means you're a thief. Like there are these really, so like, um, Galliotti has this incident of like a naked body washing up on shore in, in Strelna outside Moscow and being identified very specifically as like a formal naval off, former naval officer who like went on to commit crimes and break out of prison because of his tattoos. Right, right. Like, you know, so these are um and in the old school Russian vor days if you got a tattoo that you weren't entitled to, it would be cut out of your skin. It was um, what? it was yeah. a, it was a naked body uh belonging to Vigo Mortison from Eastern Promises. <laughs> I mean more more or less well, that's like what what I read on like uh, I forget where that's I read this. That's the actual this. Uh, Russian word for more or less. More or less. <laughs> <laughs> but like basically, yeah, if you went to prison and you had tattoos that said like you killed somebody or you belong to this or that, they would ask you, "Do you stand by your tattoos?" And you know, if you say no or they don't believe you, you have to physically cut them off of you. You know. Yeah, yeah, and now that's not so much the case. Like 
you can just get it done. So as long as you say <laughs> like, yes, they don't bother you. <laughs> now that's it means, the last you hear from them. Now it means you read poetry at open mic. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you know how to say stand-up comedy in Russian? No, how do you say it? Stand-up comedy. <laughs> what a country. <laughs> stand-up comedy. <laughs> there are no stand-up open mics in Kiev, I discovered. Oh. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to do stand-up comedy there. Um, but so, uh, and so we're kind of mentioning how the state, you know, particularly when Putin takes over in 2000, really cracks down or at least subverts organized crime to its own interests. And, uh, Deripaska, we've mentioned, married, uh, Yeltsin's former, uh, Yeltsin's former chief of staff, uh, Valentin Yamashev, um, uh, in, in February 2001, and this really coincides with his takeover of the uh, Darip- the, the daughter of the former chief of staff, right? Yes, Polina. Uh, yes, which would have been like a great power move if Yeltsin was able to form memories. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was a great power move. Like, and he I keeps feel- like meeting him and shaking his head. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and then he <laughs> falls down some stairs. Yeah. No, but but like I think the fact that the means to consolidate power is to marry into the government. Oh yeah. Is like such a strong indicator of the ways in which the state and like the businessmen were, (laughs) were combining. Um, and that of course like accelerated much further in the Putin era when the state became a much stronger player. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, uh, it's current title. Roussel's current title is UC Roussel. And this was formed in March, 2007, when it merged uh, with its domestic uh, creditor, S-U-A-L, as well as uh, the aluminum assets of a Swiss uh, uh, group called Glencore. So, and then that really uh, solidified Deripaska's control over almost the entire Russian aluminum industry. And the the Suat thing, Talia, you were explaining um, that that's... uh that's kind of how Russians do acronyms or abbreviations. Yeah, yeah. So like Sibal is like Sibirsky Aluminum. Like huh. uh, Rusal, Russian Aluminum. Like instead mm-hmm. of R-A, they just like smush together. Yeah, it's efficient. Yeah, so you get like, you know, that's why it's like com in turn for like Komunistichiski, whatever. Like, right, right. Uh, you know, it, it, it just like you, you smush together the first syllables of words instead of the first letters. There seems to be like a thin line of like militaristic thinking of like efficiency and just like, um, well, just basically like the most brute force way to doing it is the way to do it sometimes. Well, yeah. Well, it, so for example, like Gazprom, uh, big Russian gas company, it's like Gazovani Promyshlanest, uh, like gas industry. Wait, that's right. not that's not how Rachel Maddow pronounces it. <laughs> oh. Whatever. I just <laughs> I just lived in Russia. <laughs> no biggie. Um, no, yeah, the way she it's like I I get that Russian phonemes are hard to form. I just have become like a hideous snob about it and I That makes sense. I regret it. I'm like Roll an R, somebody. <laughs> Surely. Uh, let's try that. Next. Stay with us. The only thing she wants to roll is the tanks into hey there, Moscow. Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for watching. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like Chris Hayes. No, I like it. Madow. Uh, it's just great that he comes after so every YouTube like, video. He goes like, hey, it's Chris Hayes. <laughs> 
<laughs> he follows me on Twitter. This is going to be terrible. Oh, no. We'll We're cut, not we'll cut all this. He's not going to listen an hour into this episode. Come on. <laughs> you never know. No, trust me. All of my dirt is like after the 40-minute mark because That's nobody, right. That's a good idea. nobody tolerates 40 minutes of this to hear the dirt that we put out. By the way, if you have a machine that will find dirt on you on podcasts, we will plug it on this podcast. Amanda <laughs> <laughs> um, Dost have had a great joke about how a friend of his interviewed a Occupy Wall Street guy and was afraid the NSA would start tapping him. And Matt was like, the NSA might be tapping your phones, but they are not listening to your podcast. <laughs> 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 um, but so I guess uh, we should talk a bit uh, before we run out of time here about um, Alexei Navalny. Is, um, Rush- Alexei Navalny. Russia's main opposition politician. He's so hot. Yeah, he's he's a cute guy. He just has these ice cold blue eyes that just, you know, I get w- into it. No, um, I want to hear more about these eyes. <laughs> he, they're so they're just like mm. the deep blue, like, like the the they're just they're like Lake Baikal, just oh. the Siberian <laughs> purity. Yeah. His cheekbones are so high. He has a very devoted wife, but um, <laughs> he could get it. <laughs> That's my take on Russia's opposition <laughs> politics. By it, she means assassinated. <laughs> no, he's just in jail. His brother's yeah. in jail for life. He's been jailed yeah. like 15 times. Right. He wasn't allowed to run in the most recent election presidential against Putin uh, because they he was jailed. They have these ridiculous ginned up embezzlement charges against him. Oh. Oh, those eyes. Uh, Navalny. Oh, you're in jail. But I'm Tell me more come. about your troubling views on nationalism. Uh. <laughs> People are listening at work and they have to like stand up and give a presentation <laughs> with like a newspaper in front of their pants. Anti-corruption. <laughs> Pro-transparent government. But uh so Um yeah, no, I'm hot for Navalny. But also He seems like a good dude. He well he's an interesting guy, but but like also the embezzlement charges the government leveled against him were like such transparent bullshit. They accused him of like stealing tons of lumber and he's like where would I put it? <laughs> Where would I have sold it? And they couldn't prove anything, but, you know, show trial. Right. And so he posted uh, this or last year uh, um, a-, a video about Oleg Deripaska based on information provided by Nastya Rybka. Nastya Rybka. Um, who is a, a, um, a escort. From Belarus. Who published a book called Diary of the Seduction of a, of a Billionaire. Um <laughs> And, and the name Nastya Rybka translates. Nastya, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, so her um, her given name is Nastya Vashkevich, mm-hmm. uh, Anastasia Vashkevich. But um, uh, Rybka means little fish. Mm-hmm. She's all about catching, hooking mm-hmm. those the whales, billionaires. Yeah. And Nastya. Nastya. No, I mean that's just it's a typical Russian word for nastier. <laughs> Yeah. No, it no, does. It means nasty, the, it, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. It's it's a nickname for Anastasia. Oh, I thought her name was like Nasty Little Fish. No, I mean, oh. like, it does sound. It does have the word nasty in it. Yeah. Well, I'm taking back my jerk off last night. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you know, Andy, I don't ever say this, but too much information <laughs> <laughs> sticks to the drops, buddy. <laughs> yeah. We're, we should have a Nastya Rybka theme. <laughs> this is a clean family podcast about who eats butt and who doesn't. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of eating butt, yeah. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure Oleg does not eat butt. Uh, firstly, because his wife, Polina, lives in London. He does not live in London. Uh, Polina, his wife, I'm pretty sure is having an affair with Roman uh, Abramov. Abramovich. There we go. Damn. Um... Let's sell Abramovich the... is hot, too. Everybody, let's Gorgeous. stop recording and sell the rights to Netflix right now. No, seriously, though, there's more photos of Polina and Roman than there are of Polina and Oleg on Google. Like, if you just look up photos of that couple, you can't find shit. You can't even find, Someone's like... not taking back his jerk-off. <laughs> <laughs> um... But uh, you can find a whole bunch of photos of Polina and Roman. So the thing about Roman is he's also hot. He's but gorgeous. with Navalny, like, it's his principles that make him hot. Yeah, but right. Roman got a divorce, and it's like he's committed to this affair. Oh, my God, he's single? Yeah. What am I doing here? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have to read. I have to go read Diary of the Seduction of a Billionaire. Mm. Get to work. <laughs> uh, I... Also, Oleg and Polina got two kids, uh, mm-hmm. Piotr and Maria, and uh, they're 16 and 15. No information about them whatsoever. Good. They're minors. Leave them out of it. Sure. Unlike the aluminum miners. <laughs> oh. Of Russia. Also aluminum children. minor miners. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice that uh, when their father, Oleg, was working at an um, electronics factory at 11, they will be working at an Instagram account <laughs> promoting their... <laughs> Their brand and their yachting or whatever <laughs> billion dollar inheritance. Suffice to say, they're the uh, AJ and Meadow. <laughs> <laughs> Back to um, yeah, my so. beautiful friend, Alexei Navalny. Uh, I'd know, go back to Marvin Gaye, but I've already got Goldeneye lined up. <laughs> I will say, uh, having watched that 25-minute video, I will give him a lot of credit. For a man under the shadow of an oppressive regime, he has a very good social media meme team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got, like, he'll cut to clips of gangs of New York in the middle <laughs> to make a point. Right. Or he I has... think that was There Will Be Blood. No. Okay, Yogi That's and I talked about this. I no. thought it was There Will Be Blood, too. He doesn't I mean, have, I just he doesn't have the handlebar Daniel, in There Will Daniel Be Blood. Daniel Day-Lewis in period costume. Apart. I thought it was Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> He, he doesn't have facial hair. No, there no will be he, so Navalny, Navalny, he's very modern in his methods, and he has this team of young people, and they, they have what's called the Anti-Corruption Foundation, basically mm-hmm. to do these investigations. ACF. Wait, no, and they're really fascinating because they don't have FOIA, they don't have access to state files, they have zero cooperation from the government, so they basically do it all in like guerrilla, kind of like social media, mm-hmm. Google Earth, like using all these public records tools. Right. Um, and they got Medvedev, like they revealed Medvedev's, the extent of his wealth, like via, in part, like looking at the sneakers he was wearing in photos right. and like, like, um, yeah, it's just, it's really creative stuff. No, with, with the, they revealed yeah. the true meaning of his name, Bear Man. It looks yeah. like- <laughs> Son of a bear. Oh, son of a bear. Yeah. yeah. The Yev is like son of. I think we, it wasn't any of those movies because he doesn't have that handlebar thing in either There Will Be Blood or Gangs of New York or The Crucible or Link. Well, if he's you, only in like six movies. If if you're curious, listener, it'll be in the Tumblr. Yes, thank you. <laughs> we'll settle this on the internet. Um, but Go anyways, watch Navalny's documentary. It's yeah, cool. it's great. I mean, it's 25 minutes, and uh, just to speak to that open source, he relies uh, extensively on the Instagram of this uh, uh, escort, former escort, Nastya Rybka. Nastya. Nastya Rybka. And uh, uh, her Instagram has a lot of private photos of Oleg Deripaska, where she's on his yacht, um, and he's accompanied by the Deputy Prime Minister of Russia, Sergei Eduardovich Um, And so he, uh, Sergei, has been in the government since Yeltsin, 
Yeltsin. Uh, yes. Did I get it wrong again? Yes. You did. God damn it. Uh, and he keeps saying sorry. I'm I'm Russia splaining throughout. Uh, <laughs> That's my role. Uh, but any, anyway, so Sergey's been in uh, in the government since the '90s. He's kind of a fixture. A lot of uh, a lot of people allege that he has extensive um, influence over Russia's foreign policy. And so, uh, uh, Nastya, uh, or Nastya, um, her video, uh, one of them on Instagram shows uh, him and Oleg having a conversation, essentially about um, a, uh, a U.S. Uh, figure, I believe, in the State Department, Victoria Vic- Newland. Yeah, Victoria Newland, and and so they're essentially talking about why uh, uh, she doesn't like Russia or whatever. Um, but so. Essentially, they kind of extend this to, first of all, show that uh, Oleg is bribing a government official by having him take private trips with multiple escorts on his yacht to Norway and then and then flying him out of Norway on his private plane. So, you know, bribery of a government official. Up, I'm, I'm looking up Daniel Day-Lewis facial hair. Oh, my God. How dare he do this to Polina? I know. Okay. Uh, I'm so mad about so, it. Sorry for telling you. To I usually am you. not mad about billionaires cheating on their wives, but for some reason, Polina is just. She's <sighs> uh, so great. But so, anyways, the point is uh, uh, re- aside from this government bribe, it's alleged that through Oleg, um, uh, Oleg is through Sergey, a conduit to the FSB and the Putin government, because they're having this meeting. <laughs> like oh, I'm saying this over. Yeah, the right, right, right. <laughs> Let's get it on bribery. <laughs> oh, it was totally gangs in New York. This is Hell about yes. the, this song is actually about the relationship between Russia and business and government. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was about the relationship between Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, anyways, I apologize. Yes, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> Let's get All right, you can stop that. <laughs> Um, but so basically, uh, uh, Sergey is alleged to be the conduit. Uh, we, they're having this meeting uh, off the coast of Norway on Oleg's yacht in August 2016. And it's alleged that they discussed, you know, the 2016 election or whatever. And uh, we all have our own opinions on the 2016 election. I think Russian influence happened, but it really wasn't that big of a factor. My personal opinion, that doesn't make it okay. But it, it is just very interesting where we've kind of mentioned how Putin controls these billionaire oligarchs like Oleg. And Oleg was, of course, paying Paul Manafort, who is currently being charged with felonies by Robert Mueller. And, uh, uh, um, and I guess we can get into Manafort as well. Um, but... One other fun fact about uh, Nastya, Nastya is uh, she was apparently part of a topless pro-Harvey Weinstein protest outside, right. outside the American embassy in Moscow, which is just like a weird psyop, and I don't really understand. Maybe I just don't understand the 12-dimensional chess that Putin is playing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the way Navalny did this whole investigation, and what he says, it's like we fell into it accidentally. Right, Because like, right. what happened was... The Russian government sent like a bunch of prostitutes dressed as like sexy cops <laughs> to the Navalny yeah, 2018 yeah. presidential headquarters mm-hmm. and like Russian state TV, like lifenews.ru, mm-hmm. like happened to happen by with cameras just mm-hmm. at the moment that like right. Navalny staffers are being harassed by like women in fishnets with riding crops. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, like Navalny was trying to track down who did this 
and found Nastya Ripka mm-hmm. and then was like, wait, is that her with Oleg Deripaska? Right, right. From their like, Instagram, his, yeah. yeah. Are they talking about the stage apartment? Like, what the fuck? And then he releases this bombshell investigation and and basically alleges like he's like here's just the, even if you like take out the 2016 election shit right um what you have is like um the deputy prime minister of russia taking a yacht ride with an oligarch and um prostitutes uh they went to this remote like isthmus off norway where there was only one airport the only private plane that was the, the only planes that were there were Derry Pasca's private plane. Um, so a ride on a private plane is also a bribe. Right. Um, and uh, they also looked into Rihotka. That's the deputy prime minister's like finances. And we're like, mm. oh, here's him with like million dollar apartments and this huge, you know, um, gigantic like compound. And they looked into his official finances and found like, he made a government salary and even his wife's a lot of these guys like put all their illicit money in their wives' names. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even the like that does seem like a dangerous strategy when you are constantly cheating on your wife. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, even his wife's declared income like wouldn't cover even one of the apartments he has. So um, seems like there's a little corruption in the Russian state. Mm-hmm. And we'll uh, be right back. <laughs> <laughs> hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Um, oh, and just uh, uh, one more thing about Nastia is she's currently in a Thai jail, I believe, for prostitution. But uh, for soliciting prostitution, for she soliciting, had, yes. she like had teamed up with this male sex guru, and they claim to be running sex Mike Myers trainings. No, he's also Belarusian. I forgot his name because he's not as interesting as Nastia. Mike Myers. <laughs> Mike Myers. Uh, yeah, and they were like running these sex trainings for Thai sex workers and were arrested for um I believe it was solicitation of prostitution, rape and conspiracy. So she's facing I couldn't find any news on her past April, but I think she has been sentenced hmm. to a prison term in Thai jail. She like put out all these kind of recordings being like I have information on the 2016 election. Right, like, right, Please right. don't let me be extradited to 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 Russia cuz like the thing is, if you're a person who makes an oligarch look bad, you could yeah. die. You could you could die. So free my girl Nastya. Free Nastya, man. <laughs> free like, I love her. I think oh, she's yeah, great. She seems great. I mean, great lips. There's that one video in that. Uh, Someone else she, isn't taking it back. She's, she's a big, yeah. she's a big fan of uh, independent films, <laughs> as made by uh, Miramax and the Weinstein Company and Alexei Navalny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and and I guess like uh, if there's nothing else on that, we can briefly talk about just Paul Manafort. Like, did a lot of lobbying work for Oleg Deripaska at least from 2005 to 2009, and then he owed a shitload of money to Oleg Deripaska. Um, I'm just quoting from the Atlantic here. Uh, in 2008, Deripaska was given 18.9 million in a fund that he had set up. Uh, uh, by, he was given 18.9 million by Oleg Deripaska to purchase Black Sea Cable, which was a Ukrainian telecommunications company. Um, and then nobody knows what happens happened to the money after that. Nobody but, knows? Well, basically, uh, again, from the Atlantic, um, Oleg's lawyers said in 2003... Or, he yeah, bought the cable company. Oleg's lawyers say that when Deripaska asked for an accounting of the investment in 2013, Manafort simply didn't respond, uh, which is a boss move. 
But, uh, you know, uh, let's try that. <laughs> Next. Stay with us. I, yeah, and I do respect. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. <laughs> Thanks for watching MSNBC. Uh, I do, I do respect uh, the idea of stealing eighteen point nine million dollars from somebody connected to the Russian mafia. <laughs> uh, say what you will about Paul Manafort; he's not an afraid person. <laughs> but uh, basically, great hair, also. And if you've, uh, you know, maybe if you are a regular That's viewer of MSNBC, you are familiar uh, with shortly after Paul Manafort was. Um, uh, appointed head of the uh, Trump campaign in 2016. He wrote an email in July 7, 2016, saying that if Oleg Deripaska, quote, if he needs private briefings, we can accommodate. And he also said uh, how to, he asked a contact he had with Oleg Deripaska um, uh, if he had seen the press coverage about him being uh, Trump's campaign manager. And Manafort said, quote, how do we use to get whole? You know, how do we use this to get us whole? to get me out of debt to this guy. So he was at least trying to peddle influence to Oleg Deripaska throughout the 2016 election. And that is how this went down. I mean, and the thing about... Hey there, that, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. <laughs> the thing, it's like, so with a lot of um, the Russiagate stuff, especially citizen journalism, mm -hmm. it's kind of like anyone who has any connection to a Russian oligarch is therefore like directly linked to Putin. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of bullshit because, as Navalny says, like, Yes, the oligarchs pay a certain amount of fealty to the state, mm -hmm. but they're not tools necessarily. Sure, they right. have their own agendas. Um, it's just that they can't get too uppity. Um, but the fact that Deripaska has this established channel with Brichotka, mm -hmm. who's like this super high up figure in the government, makes it more credible that he could have been a conduit for information because like, just just in and of itself, Manafort... Manafort's relationship to Deripaska is more just like an indictment of Manafort himself uh, mm. and like shadiness. But add in the Prichotka connection and you have like... The uh, most qualified person ever to run for president <laughs> having it stolen from them. Uh, well, I'll be right back. To me, if you, to me Russiagate, the issue Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for watching MSNBC. I, I, think that I can't pause issue, it early. The, the issue of whether it's a determinative factor is almost yeah. like moot. Right. It's like a story of international corruption. It's a story of shamelessness. It's a story of a presidential candidate who, like, just has had no had and has no regard for the rule of law. And, right. like, of course, of course. Or, and no honor. And so, but also, like, also, phenomenal global corruption, oligarchy, oh, yes, and that's like, and I'm always happy to to indict that. Well, it's like, like fuck that. of course, Paul Manafort's a fucking vampire, and I hope he rots in prison. Uh, probably get part. I mean, of I'd, I'd call it one of the most ambitious crossover events between American <laughs> oligarchs and Russian oligarchs. <laughs> you thought I mean, the Avengers was an ambitious crossover? I mean, I think. It's like ironic. I mean, it's ironic that we would use like the total shambles that came in the wake of the collapse of the Soviet Union to be like things should be more fair. But I'm like, I think if you live in a world that's dominated by oligarchs, like it's just inevitable that things, the barriers between nation states are less important than money. Yeah, and, no, like, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, so in so far as any of this is is important it's it's more the it's like i don't care to what degree i mean first of all the email wikileaks hacks like did matter but yeah. also it's like you have don jr being like if it's what you say i love it and like all of the all of these like very clear public record 
indications that like the Trump campaign was perfectly willing to like take take help wherever they could get it yep. from whoever they could get it money from from whoever they needed it from and so that's what bothers me about it right and i think like uh the feeling of a lot of like left activists on this or at least my feelings that i've seen kind of reflected other places is essentially like i believe it happened i believe it mattered i believe you know these are felonies when we're talking about money laundering or hacking or these kinds of things but what worries me is Democrats where you have like Mark Warner, uh, famous friend of the uh, financial industry who helped roll back uh, uh, Dodd-Frank. You have him tweeting, I think yesterday or the day before, Russia is not our friend, you know, where it's like, this is what they're going to run on. I mean, they have elections coming up in November and it's like, again, you had in uh, 2008, 2010, something like 6 million plus at least foreclosures, uh, many according to one audit, half of which were fraudulent, you know, so you have like this depressed economy, even though the official unemployment numbers are low, you have people struggling who want, you know, health coverage, they want uh, a decent home, education prices, et cetera, et cetera. So there's just a worry, I think, among a lot of people that we will lose sight, we will try to run on Russia, is I think. And if you watch MSNBC, maybe you get the impression that we are running on Russia. Yeah, and no, and, and I think there also is this bias towards like un like information that isn't known and like these crazy charts and, and you wind up looking like you know a murder investigation wall right. or whatever where it's like we know what we know right. and what we know is powerful enough like just rampant errant naked corruption and greed and right. like run on that run on helping people right <laughs> give right. people fucking health care that's what we want Andy. well it's like they're playing up this kind of like greed um or this kind of corruption story that is is definitely like a real corruption story but also they're kind of playing up the the kind of circus of it to distract from also very real purely american corruption Mm -hmm. um that also kind of touches their own bottom line and their own pocketbooks and so they don't want to rock the boat on that of course and i mean it's like you know we kind of talked about this on the Koch brothers episode was they spent more than 880 million dollars in their influence network in the 2016 election and then you have you know uh, russia spending a little over 100k in facebook ads and that's what we're going to talk about which of course they both matter but why are you know but anyways andy if you would summarize our discussion with what Robert Mueller is going to do, I think uh, that would uh, uh, really help out here. Mueller baby, Donnie boy and Putin collude. How rude. Say you're taking him down. Mueller baby, please get him out of office tonight. I went to a, a woman's house and she had a Robert Mueller... Miller really prayer candle. <laughs> I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, one cop is gonna save America. We need healthcare for all. Abolish ICE. Like, there's so much more work to be done. And like, and like, stop fixating on a cop named Bob. Um, if. In fairness, if you search Twitter, uh, Robert Mueller, sexual fantasy, you will have a better day. (laughs) Uh, A lot of uh, people with uh, blue waves in their profiles. (laughs) 
Um, but so uh, uh, we're kind of going along, but a lot of interesting stuff. And of course, we can't get to everything. But I did just want to like run through some miscellaneous stuff I learned about Oleg Deripaska. In 2015, he sued uh, Morgan Stanley in New York court for basically insider trading when they short sold uh, one of his companies that they were invested in and working in based on inside information. So he sued them for uh, insider trading against him. Morgan Stanley was eventually cleared. and uh, So there is a good billionaire standing up the little guy (laughs) (laughs) against the banks. But it is uh, sad that uh, uh, in between uh, the guy who has been accused of um, uh, ordering the murder of a billionaire, of a businessman, and Morgan Stanley, I 100% the guy who has been accused of (laughs) murdering a businessman is the good guy in that story. Like, Morgan Stanley is fucking vampires. And again, I I mentioned all the foreclosure crisis, but Morgan Stanley, all of these people, were up to their necks in fraudulent documents used to throw Americans out of their homes. Um, We'll talk about that on a future episode, but I'm reading Chain of Title by David Dayan. He's a contributor to The Intercept, and I think it's the best book on the 2008 financial crisis because, in my opinion, the real scandal is millions of fraudulent foreclosures. But anyways, another fun... Jeez, and I thought I was off topic bringing up the bitch wars. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, anytime I can rant about Wall Street, I am happy to... Anytime uh, I can discuss the bitch wars. Also, <laughs> I, I've confirmed it was Gangs of New York. I, 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 I did confirm yeah. that earlier, didn't you? Yeah. No, right. I don't think you did. Did you confirm that earlier? A little bit. All right, my apologies. Look, I'm, I found I'm, the clip. Nice. Yeah. It is, you know, Alexei Navalny, for all his uh, positive attributes, he does fucking hate the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I love Alexei yeah? Navalny. You, uh, you, are you trying to find, like, a negative attribute? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you missed. Um, but so other fun Guys, stuff. Sean's a dirty mech. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other fun stuff. Oleg has had his uh, visa to the U.S. canceled multiple times. In 2006, it was canceled, uh, allegedly for his ties to organized crime. But uh, former U.S. presidential candidate Bob Dole and his law firm received $250,000 to uh, lobby for Oleg Deripaska on behalf of him <laughs> to urge the U.S. to grant him a visa. Wow. <laughs> Which is just Why would like... you trust Bob Dole to be potent <laughs> in your defense? Bob Dole likes the Russian mafia. <laughs> the Russian mafia doesn't exist. Bob Dole doesn't think so. Um and uh, uh, Bob Dole thinks it's an offensive stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, we were talking about this briefly off mic, but Deripaska is a friend of Nathaniel Rothschild, who is uh, <laughs> and this please. is where the soul Jew on the podcast starts <laughs> feeling like yeah. super <laughs> uncomfortable. We will. Uh, Sean's been spending some time on YouTube. <laughs> I've I've got the real j- dirt from uh, John Birch Society, <laughs> um, but so basically. Um, uh, uh, they had uh, um, uh, George Osborne, who was the United Kingdom Conservative Party shadow chancellor, and Peter Manders- Mandelson, who was involved in the label g- labor government. They had uh, them uh, for like a dinner and a yacht party over near Nathaniel Rothschild's mansion. And this was kind of a scandal in the UK because it's alleged that George Osborne... Well, it's alleged that Mandelson... Uh, uh, tried to cut Russian sanctions in, or Russian tariffs or whatever in response, and it's alleged that George Osborne tried to solicit donations for Oleg Deripaska um, during this meeting. Uh, sorry, d- solicit donations from Oleg Deripaska for the UK Conservative Party. And then there's a whole thing about Russian money and you know London, the United Kingdom, but um, uh, and jo- like lots of murders <laughs> of Russians in London going unprosecuted, right? Because mm-hmm. London is a clearinghouse of the world's money, including extremely dirty Russian yep. money. Yes. 
And uh, speaking of murder, though the less sexy kind, one study murder. said, one study said that austerity, as carried out by George Osborne's gover- uh, government, the one he was Chancellor of the Exchequer for, killed like twenty thousand people because of these budget cuts. What? So you know, um, <clears throat> austerity kills. It really does. And the- Reaganomics is just like a cuter word for austerity. Mm-hmm. I really think we should start using that word in the U.S. That's a thought that I've had a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yes. I don't know what worked for Russia. <laughs> Mass privatization. <laughs> that's the, that's the moral of this. Yeah. I, I just like, yeah, the story of just like, I love that there are so many gang wars over aluminum. Oh, yeah. That formed the central spine of this story. <laughs> just imagine like growing up all of our Huffy bicycles were like built with mass murder. <laughs> I, I mean, do. I do like that. Uh, George the blood o- tricycle. Yeah. <laughs> George Osborne uh, uh, tried to get money looted from the Russian state so that he could take power and loot money from the English state. <laughs> and this is what I'm saying. It's all about a transnational order of oligarchic corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I don't mean Jews. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean rich people. Well, we lost our followings. Yeah. <laughs> All our listeners turned it off just now. We, uh, yeah. The Haft Mansion is this place in D.C. Right. that Oleg owns. And uh, I don't know why it's it's known. Uh, Herbert Haft owned a whole bunch of drugstores. But anyway, it's a very uh, lavish, ornate uh, mansion. It's like six, it, we bought for like $16.5 million. Incidentally, though, his neighbor, Kellyanne Conway. Mm. So... That is how tied to money all of these people are. Oleg's American neighbor is Kellyanne Conway. Hmm. It's beautiful. Right? So, I, I, guess I, we, I wish that someone would ask her about that when she yeah, goes on TV. Right? Why is she ever on TV? I don't know. I don't know. You know You know what she might say? Get lost, please. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, was, that was the only drop we had of Oleg himself uh, from like a CNN anchor following him asking questions about this. Yes. Had to find a way to work it in. Yes. And if you go on YouTube uh, and you search, someone has, some entrepreneurial individual has uploaded that clip under Oleg Deripaska owns fake news <laughs> CNN reporter. Uh, so mega. And actually, like, and I think, uh, uh, last thing at least I want to talk about is um, if you go on YouTube and you search, like, Putin destroys corruption like a boss or Putin, like, owns Oleg. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's one that Putin makes Oleg Deripaska his bitch, and there's part <laughs> one and part two. But so basically, um, Oleg Deripaska had a public um, uh, a feud, uh, or at least Putin gave him a public tongue lashing in uh, 2009, where what happened, as we mentioned, Oleg's businesses were kind of collapsed, collapsing, and then the Russian town of uh, Pikyalovo... P-I-K-A-L-E. Pikalieva. There you go. Yeah, come on, Sean. So uh, everybody knows that. But so uh, basically what happened was uh, his uh, uh, factory there had kind of collapsed and it hadn't paid wages to their workers for months. And then there was like a lot of protests going on and um, uh, uh, kind of discontent uh, with Oleg Deripaska and the other people who ran the factory. So the Russian state, of course, views these kind of street protests as like very scary, you know, because they, of course, don't want to be overthrown like Egypt or whatever, Libya, etc. But so Putin flies out there and he like uh, has this press conference where he makes Oleg Deripaska sign this document saying that he will immediately pay all these backdated wages to the workers and, you know, um, and then... Uh, uh, 
The way yeah. he does that, though, is like the, it's a boardroom full of t- people, and uh, Putin just goes, hey, everyone signed this? And everyone's like, yeah, hey, we all signed. What about Oleg? And Oleg's like, yeah, I signed it. He's like, well, I don't see your signatures. How about you come up here and sign it for me? <laughs> and then, and then like, Oleg like starts to leave after signing it, and Putin goes, give me my pen back. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, and it's again, it's funny because, like, as we mentioned, these are all uploaded. Like, Putin owns corruption, right? right. <laughs> like a fucking alpha or whatever. And then if you look at the YouTube comments, there's a lot of stuff like, "We need Putin to be president of the U.S. to clean up corruption oh, wow. here." And it's just so funny to me because it's like, you guys can hear all the journalist cameras clicking while he's saying this, right? <laughs> like, you just listen to the video, and it's like so clearly staged as a press conference, but. Well, that's Whatever. sort of the essence of, <laughs> of Putin as, like, in his image of man of the people. Like, right. he does these very choreographed press calls and everything. And, like, a lot of it is him being like, oh, like, like it's like a grandmother from, like, Nizhny Novgorod will, like, call up and be like, I haven't been able to leave my house because of the pothole. And he's like, I will fix your pothole. Right, right. And, like, <laughs> he just and, rips his suit off and, like, starts filling no, it and in. He, like, bare he's like, I will, you know, yeah. I will personally intervene. And then it, it gets fixed. But, like, mm-hmm. obviously these are just, like, photo ops. Yeah, plants. Right. Yeah, no, and the other thing like about the, the, the thing that, that reveals about the... Um, the Dairy Pasca. So, like, I was reading in one of the analyses of like why, um, Dairy Pasca has flourished so much under Putin, and like part of it is that Dairy Pasca employs a hundred thousand people. Oh my God! Uh, really? Yeah. Oh yeah, like a yeah. hundred and thirty thousand. Holy I think. shit! So that's part of the reason why Putin has like allowed him to flourish, and so their only public conflict was also about workers. Right. Right. Uh, so that's not really incidental. Yeah. Basic element of employs over one hundred and fifty thousand people globally. Including Russia, Asia, the Commonwealth of Independent States, etc. I mean, when have dissatisfied workers had any political <laughs> influence in Russia? <laughs> From your mouth to uh, no God's ears. <laughs> Can we talk about his Cyprus citizenship for a bit? Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So he bought Cypriot citizenship in 2017, I think. Cyprus has like a investment for citizenship thing for a lot of like wealthy people from all over the world, mm-hmm. especially Russian oligarchs. Many of yeah. whom are listening to this podcast right now. And it's a level in Simcopter. <laughs> <laughs> Russia, if you're listening. Uh, like one, one way, one tried and true way path to EU citizenship for them is to take a stake in the Bank of Cyprus. Mm. And so like a couple Russian oligarchs did that. It's much easier than getting an Irish lady pregnant. Um. Well, my coda on all this... Um, is that I found a new Russian saying mm. while well, I was trying to do research in Russian. Um, it was about, like, the article is about, like, how Derek Posca got his founding stake in Russian aluminum. And it was like, he had to have some money to start with. Um, but the saying is, uh, um, In order to make rabbit stew, you must at least have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the dessert? <laughs> um, it's like, you know, you have to have some kind of meat. Mm. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. So it's like you're going to pretend it's rabbit stew, but it's really cat meat. <laughs> One time when I was living in Ukraine, I there was like a Belarusian grocery store mm-hmm. not far from where I lived. And I like it was late at night and I was really hungry. So I just like stopped by there. And I was like, do you have a can of tuna? And they were like, 
No, but we have canned horse meat. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can change the label for you if you like. <laughs> I'm like, wow, those are interchangeable. <laughs> uh. Speaking of horses, uh, Oleg owns seven horses and six dogs. He loves animals. In Sochi, when there was a whole bunch of stray dogs, he set up a shelter for all of those dogs, basically. Aww. And then they uh, hold steroidal. Uh, <laughs> chemicals from them. And yeah, he uh, he set up a shelter for the strongest dogs in all of Sochi. I mean, the bitch wars are over. Yeah. The bitches won. <laughs> <laughs> Thus begins a new era. <laughs> is, Thus is begins that... a new era. <laughs> Was that the subtitle of Bridesmaids 3? <laughs> um... No, that's the subtitle of my apartment. <laughs> um, I have three roommates. It's great. No, but um, yeah, I think that Derry Posca is sort of a, an instructive look into both just like how murky things were in Russia in the 1990s and then like to what extent organized crime, transnational business, corruption and the state are all sort of. You, like intertwined of course yep. and we're rapidly careening onto that path in the right. united states so and it all just Woo. goes into like global capitalism considering as we've mentioned how much of this was done through london especially during the 90s right, you know right. so it's like it all gets laundered into it and it's like uh you know capitalism is the most ethical system is what i'm trying to say money 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 oh like deripaska good billionaire um but i do want to really think that the best thing about the 90s Um, Uh, I'm kind of mad you didn't use the Sopranos theme more I talked about organized crime so much He used it at least twice I mean, like he was—he spent half this episode looking up which movie Daniel Day-Lewis yeah, was right. in. Right. <laughs> in the Navalny Club. <laughs> All my uh, research is redundant anyway, so. Uh, but I do want to thank uh, Talia Laven. Uh, Talia Laven. Thank, thank you so much. And anything you want to plug? Her Twitter is great. Uh, check it out if you don't. Chicken Kiev with two underscores. The dish. Ah. Um, her, her Twitter is great. She's a columnist at The Village Voice. Anything else you want to plug? Socialism. Yes. Go socialism. <laughs> IWWDSA.org. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, I really appreciate your contribution to our research here, and there's a lot of other Russian oligarchs we will be talking about at some point, so we'd love to have you back sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll be here to condescendingly correct your Russian <laughs> pronunciation. Look, anyone condescending to Sean as a friend of the show. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we well, thank you so much for... Thank oh. you so much for having me on. I'm so glad I was able as a woman to, to show up, like, yes. serve you all coffee, make the best. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, thank, uh, thank you for showing research. up so that we could talk over you this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, please. I talked and, over and explain you. everything you already know back to you. <laughs> no, she says something and then Yogi says it. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> 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 um, no, this was great. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, I will. I'll plug it. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, with that, my name is Yogi Polywall. Uh, I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. Talia Laven. And uh, thank you for listening, and please enjoy at least 25 minutes of my pronunciation being corrected. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you have enjoyed. Also, shout out to the sit down with uh, Mike Racine Oh, yeah, thanks. And, uh, uh, Matt Anderson. Yeah, check out Mike Racine's podcast. Yeah. It's great. He gave us a nice uh, shout out. We'll have him on sometime. Very funny comedian. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening. And if you uh, like we'll organized you, crime, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Other girls, they gather around him. 
So close and be denied. 